welcome to We Do, the officially unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season one, episode six, This Extraordinary Being. Aaron, second watch, what do you think? Uh, I really liked it. I had a couple of things that I thought were weird and strange, um, you know, even above and beyond Watchmen standards. Uh, on the Instant Talk podcast, I mentioned how I thought it was odd that in a show that has not sensationalized the sensational stuff that that black people have gone through in this country like you know um the wall street attack uh, the black wall street attack rather um it was odd to me that they chose to add this kind of like mystical sci-fi black conspiracy on black people as as and it's like what that's weird you can't find like some kind of real life forms of oppression and whatnot and i read a lot and there's a couple of articles i thought were especially enlightening on some of this and they were written no coincidence uh by two black women one is joelle monique uh, for the AV Club, the article is titled Watchmen Embraces Its Noir Roots and Black Trauma. And uh, another one by Soraya McDonald, uh, uh, this extraordinary being um, article that she wrote for The Undefeated. I'll link both of those in the, the comments. But um, it's it's this theme of that how the media can be used against people, um, mm -hmm. you know, how it can shade other people's perceptions of themselves and how it can be, you know, like, you know, negative, uh, depictions and whatnot can, can, uh, uh, you know, give you his negative self, uh, image. And they also drew both of those uh, ladies in particular drew this parallel between, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, Alan Moore interviews been kicking around the last few weeks from 2016, where, you know, he, you know, as as Alan Moore frequently does, took to this interview to kind of shit on uh, his previous works and adaptations thereof. And he mentioned that people didn't he, he was, he's bemoaning the fact that, like, adults are so fixated on comic books mm -hmm. because, you know, in his mind, there's like this like vast, insidious kind of racist history of comic books. And he mentioned that, like, in his mind, the first superhero movie was Birth of a Nation that like racist clan apology that was made because you know here's these costume heroes going forth and fighting evil yeah and these ladies uh, these women took that kind of and, and ran with it and talked about you know black depiction in media and how that kind of ties into the cyclops using films to you know spark a bunch of unrest and distrust within the community and i i thought that was just some really smart takes and kind of resolved it's it still i think is weird that it'd be kind of like if there was flying saucers at the the wall you know the, the attack on black wall street the attack on greenwood yeah um but i kind of think i see more where lindelof is going with it it's not it wasn't just kind of like what the fuck where mm -hmm. there's still a lot of other what the fuck where i i do i don't understand like i still understand why will had to have a, a relationship with this girl he saved you know why you know how that tied like what their the nature of their relationship was and and mm -hmm. that stuff that is strange but shit you know real life gets weird sometimes yeah stranger things have happened yeah yeah there's uh, a series about it on netflix upside down and psychic kids is crazy <laughs> uh i i think this episode also feels maybe the most like a comic book of any of the episodes yet i really i don't know why i'm, I'm trying to think why maybe because it's an origin story watchman has this noir vibe to it mm -hmm. and i think like the black and white filter on this thing and sort of the just the period setting and everything made me like put me in that headspace mm -hmm. throughout the episode um and also like a lot of the transitions are very like 
old movie, but also comic book panel-y type oh, yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was really getting a strong, on second watch, a strong comic book vibe from this episode. I didn't think about that, but you're like one of the most iconic uh, parts of any superhero um, series of, 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 of anything, really, is their origin story. Yeah. And this is kind of like the second half of his origin story. I um, the official podcast is just interesting this week because like a lot of the stuff they talk about is kind of things that we've we've figured out. Um, right. So they talked about uh, a couple of things that I thought were interesting, um, which one of them was Will Reeves. He mentioned that, you know, Lindelof was talking about how obviously there's a lot of Superman inspiration, which we've talked about his escaping this 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 uh, destroyed home world and as an infant and he's phenomenally strong and and uh, they got they, they activated around the same time Superman and Will Reeves in, in 1939 or 38 mm-hmm. uh, but he also said that there's a lot of par- parallels to Batman and the Batman is an example of like a two-stage hero ignition that like he was traumatized as a child by his his um, family being murdered and that left him with a, like a, a lifelong quest for justice but he never knew how quite to to fight that fight until he was traumatized a second time as an adult yeah. um, after he got his ass kicked on his first uh, foray into crime fighting. And then he was scared by these bats and he realized, oh, I can use this fear against uh, the same fear I feel against the criminal underworld. And here Will, uh, you know, obviously traumatized by what he saw in, in Greenwood, then when he becomes a cop and he gets lynched by his fellow officers... Uh, coming home and realizing he can use this rage and this anger inside of him to 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 fight against his enemies, I, I thought that was a pretty in- insightful point. But yeah, makes a lot of sense. The other thing is Lindelof promised in his podcast that we were going to get answers to a few bullet points, which I thought was impressive. He said that we're going to definitely get answers to what's going on with Ozymandias and his prison. Uh, we they will illuminate what Lady True's plan is and how the clock fits in and how Angela fits in the large and like that's like everything i mean that's a lot of that that's if yeah 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 like if if i was going to ask what are the questions on the board that we need to know he's promising answers by the finale so i'm uh (laughs) pretty excited right you have to i mean this is planned as a one uh one shot yeah season yeah uh if you don't answer those any of those three major questions you don't have a complete show yeah so yeah, like you him promising this is like the easiest (laughs) promise ever sure right it's like me promising that uh one way or another, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. Yeah. Or one way or another, uh, I will not live forever. Like, is that is that a promise I can't keep? It would be hilarious if you died in traffic because you would simultaneously never sleep again, always be sleeping again, and also mm-hmm. not be immortal. It's like... Oh, is this a tricky answer by him? Is he going to answer by not answering somehow? <laughs> no, he's going to answer by having his Tesla drive him into traffic. and Because uh, they're still shooting it. You never and, use uh, summon yeah. when you're in the vehicle. Come on. It just it breaks the logic. It doesn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, uh, you know pretty i i feel good i feel good about relaxing kind of enjoying this because uh and and lindelof's mind he uh he thinks he's answered it and also the other thing is yeah. that's super interesting about lindelof is he's like one of the few people that cops to like oh yeah i read everything uh-huh. like i can't help it like i'm i'm a he calls himself a, a recap culture junkie mm-hmm. and he's like i can't you know i'm on the four i'm on these sites and i'm reading about all the other stuff that i'm interested in and like i just what am i going to do ignore these headlines talking about my own show and yeah I like that he's like unapologetic about just like bathing in that shit, good, bad, and and, and indifferent. Um, relatable. He's a relatable guy. Absolutely. 
do we have anything else we want to do like in in the I don't think so. I got, I got some stuff on the PDPedia, but we'll traditionally we traditionally do that at the end of the show. Yeah. So let's yeah. just get right into the recap. All right. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is the, the episode title itself, This Extraordinary Being. I remember when I was a couple weeks ago, someone was making a theory based on like episode titles. I was trying to decide whether it was a spoiler or not, and I saw that this episode was called This Extraordinary Being, and I kind of mentally drew a circle on my calendar and said, ah, this is going to be the episode where Dr. Manhattan shows up. The because... All-Mars episode. Yeah, and it turns out that uh, Manhattan's not extraordinary enough. It's it's uh, it's actually about the, the life and times of this uh, Will Reeves, which uh, makes sense now that I've seen it. But Housekeeping. Our annual holiday-type shenanigans start next week. Be on the lookout for a little trailer we've cooked up Pickle Me This is our Rick and Morty podcast for season four. And on this episode, Rick hates heist movies so much he spends an entire 30 minutes subverting the whole genre. Find out what Jim and I have to say on Pickle Me This. Over on Bald Move TV, Alexis and Cecily are covering his dark materials, a.k.a. that one HBO show where the scary lady has a monkey that's constructed entirely out of deep shame and red fur. Also, we talked to Mandalorian and Rick and Morty with Gustavo Sarola from Rooster Teeth. Check that out. Over on Bald Movies, in case you missed it, we saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood last week, the quasi-Mr. Rogers biopic that had us wondering if you could found a secular religion around the life of Fred Rogers. The answer is almost certainly, and that he would hate it. Pretty good argument against doing it, I guess. If you've enjoyed my occasional political tangents here on Bald Move, or maybe especially if you haven't, you might try listening to my new podcast on the Swizzbold Network, Three Right Turns. This week's episode is entitled Star Trek Republican, and I mean... That title doesn't intrigue you. I, I don't know. I, I, I also make jet noises with my mouth. So check that out. If any of these sound good, you can find that more information on baldmove.com to subscribe or search for the show name wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's get into the recap. Uh, we kind of start off with a title card here that turns from Watchmen into Minutemen with a little puff of smoke. Um, and then we go right into the American Hero story where two FBI agents are talking with Hooded Justice. Um, turns out Captain Metropolis is blackmailing Hoover with a film of them getting it on. Uh, the FBI wants to get a picture of That's Hooded Justice. That's a Hoover like. That's some un-American talk right. I'm hearing from your mouth, Jim. Right, because he's definitely not a homosexual. He would not be a degenerate, this this Edgar Hoover. Their words, not ours. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the FBI, it's, it's a weird play here. They want Hooded Justice to voluntarily give them a picture of himself that they can use to blackmail him into getting the tape from Captain Metropolis mm -hmm. so they can destroy it, put it in a file for later, whatever they do with those tapes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a strange play asking asking the blackmail victim to give you the blackmail material. Yeah, I think it's more <laughs> of like either... So I didn't get that they were going to force Captain Metropolis uh, into giving his... It's more of like a mutual assured destruction. Like, surely you won't want this to get out about you, the fact that you're a, a homosexual. So give us a picture of your face, and then, you know, we'll have assurance that you're never going to, like, run your mouth or something. Did they actually say that they were going to use that to force Captain Metropolis into... You mean Hooded Justice? I'm I'm very confused here. So... I thought you, what you said was that they were going to take Hooded Justice picture to force Captain Metropolis into giving up his insurance against Hoover, which is a, a film of them having sex. No, they're they're taking Hooded Justice's picture to force Hooded Justice 
under threat of releasing his photo, I assume, and revealing uh -huh. his secret identity, uh -huh. to go get the tape from Captain Metropolis. Oh, so he's just going to go I'm and saying. beat beat Captain Metropolis up for his tape, and then it'll be the only tape in existence. I mean, because I so, yeah. you can't ever make a duplicate of tape, and, and harder to make a duplicate back then. Nineteen fifty fucking whatever it yeah. was. Uh, I, yeah, that, that that I I just didn't interpret that way. I, I thought it was just more of like, hey, we're just we want to make sure since you got some on us, we got some on you, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to kind of save and 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 the the I mean the FBI used to keep files on like all kinds of people. Hoover's a nut job. <laughs> I've seen not, not because seen he liked Leo's. to wear women's clothing and he might have been gay. He's just a nut job. He's a paranoid freak. Yeah. So uh, so Hood of Justice does take off his hood, but then he kills the only two people who've seen him. And he reveals a very handsome Cheyenne Jackson, mm -hmm. which, as I mentioned on an instant uh, uh, take podcast, made me very happy as an American Horror Story fan because he. Uh, this is the 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 culmination of the. I, would you say it's a Ryan Murphy love fest? I mean, to me, this cements it as a love fest. Like Cheyenne Jackson wouldn't like be on something that's shitting all over Murphy. This is just like this is the kind of shit that Murphy would do if he lived in this universe instead of the one he does. Yeah, it's interesting to me that we start this episode off with the, this sort of salacious scene about sex stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> the sex stuff with the classic uh, the classic routine bad cop sex cop yeah <laughs> like you know you've seen it in all the noirs bad cop uh, worse cop right but but it frames sort of hooded justice as like this deviant sexual uh miscreant right mm -hmm. whereas in actuality like the the things that he was fighting for were so much more important so much more interesting and like you get the feeling that captain metropolis by the end of this episode is almost the same sort of like negligent mm -hmm. superhero that these FBI agents are, right? They're not yeah. doing anything for the the good of, of humanity. They're just doing things to cover their own asses. Sure. They're doing things for uh, their own profit in the case of Metropolis, it seems. Mm -hmm. Like your, your own image. Advance their own causes for sure. Yeah, so it kind of sets up this false narrative right at the beginning, which I like because the rest of the episode proceeds to subvert that, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, I really like just from camera technique. There was a lot of flashy stuff going on here, but the whole uh, point of view camera punch of uh -huh. the guy and then you know, smashing the skulls together and saying cheese <laughs> oh. finally. I just thought that was and, and pretty good stunt work. By, but it's by supposed Mr. to be cheesy, right? Like this is yeah, American oh, yeah. hero story. Oh yeah. So like it's just a little bit of an indulgence. Yeah. It's fun. It's cheesy. It's it's of a piece. If like I said, yeah. we Sess and I talked uh, all the episodes of the 1984 uh, season nine of American Horror Story, and it's, it's of a piece. Mm -hmm. It's nice and pulpy and fun. Uh, then we come back to reality, though we're not going to stay there very long. Lori tries to get Angela to sign a release to have her stomach pumped before she goes into a nostalgia-induced coma. Uh, she's too late, though, and Angela begins to experience Will's memories. And I found it interesting... Uh, a, we know everybody is watching American Hero Story, mm -hmm. but it seems like everybody knows Angela's identity anyway. I, I can't tell if they found out, because Angela's dressed up as Sister Knight, right? Right. And when you go to the precinct, everybody's asking how Angela is. Yes. So like, yes, they're supposed to keep their, their shit on during, when they're in the precinct, but also everybody knows everybody's identities. Like this doesn't seem like a very secretive society. Yes, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right that if if the masks, I I didn't pick this up, but I guess lifting your mask to each other in the precinct is kind of a sign of trust and respect because presumably yeah. the only one who knows all their identities was Judd, 
because uh, he's okay. the one that goes around that face is probably part of the whole deal yeah um but yeah like i guess if they practice their privacy perfectly mm-hmm. uh they did the three p's uh that none of them would know who each other is and that would be a vital part of the because if you capture one of them and then right. you torture them and you give they them, can't give up anybody else yeah but it's compartmentalization yeah so so the fact that looking glass and and uh angela would like reveal their faces to each other is maybe a sign that they were closer than because i don't think i've seen mm-hmm. uh the red scare or pirate Ginny ever do that yeah I think so you're right. maybe you're you're and it seems like yeah if you have to wear the mask inside the precinct then it's not just mm-hmm. because maybe some random journalist or criminal would see you but like mm-hmm. also yeah it compartmentalizes things yeah they seem to not take it very seriously though well i also wonder if like the jig is kind of up you know once you took the uh nostalgia and one of the things we learned in the oh and got arrested and yeah and yeah and, like one of the things we learned in the pedipedia uh which we'll talk about more later is that like angela ran her mouth the entire time the, like the hours like, like <laughs> i don't understand they, they make it seem yeah. like everything that will reeves said in the dream world uh-huh. angela was speaking out loud well, and she was Lori... narrating like the whole damn thing like yeah yeah uh, yeah it's, it's weird we'll talk about i wonder if she's narrating like because she i, I just I, that's and funny then, because, and then uh he pointed the mesmerizer like at a Judd real Crawford, like, or, or like then, a real noir detective exactly like, yeah uh, yeah i walked into this uh she had to be clam some joint the... and it stank of cabbage and beer <laughs> right. and, and and racism yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> and burnt I... jewish delicatessen <laughs> right. it's, she's like giving all this that that'd be really funny if it was like because she had to be with some of these details well, that they're gleaning from this conversation plus, or from these plus memories. it this this blended in from the PO the you know the the officers are watching the American hero story and mm-hmm. uh Cheyenne Jackson was in the middle of this lurid you know it's like I I probably should have thought, thought about assaulting two federal agents but all I could think about is that Nielsen cheating on me and like so it's like I, I that that's that would be funny if she was doing that the whole time yeah. oh my god she had to be but yeah there she's she not only heard all that but she recorded it too so everything yeah. that Angela found out about herself in universe Lori found out about angela right so that will be interesting in episodes to come i'm sure and this scene they also tell us a lot of stuff we already knew from the pd files about nostalgia as a drug you're never supposed to take anybody else's um there's such a thing as overdosing all this kind of stuff i think that's perfect because it informs people's speculation and gets people's juices and gets and uh flowing for the episode and then they confirm it right away for the people like most of the sane world that doesn't go around reading hbo's fan fiction about its fake yeah. universe you know yeah they, they very much are keeping the people reading the pdpedia yeah. one step ahead of the show yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just basically giving us a preview for what's going to happen next week but i it's 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 tough because i've seen where that stuff is completely irrelevant to a show mm-hmm. and i've seen where that stuff gives too much away and like this is like who, whoever's doing it i wonder if it, this is actually out of the writer's room like this doesn't feel like shit that they just trusted to some PR guy to just like, hey, no, come up with it, some colorful background. Yeah, Lindelof background. says in the podcast this oh, week. Oh, did he? Okay. That it's absolutely them writing it. Okay. Because uh, I, I would even believe it's actually Lindelof himself. Like, you know, because yeah, yeah. that might be fun as for writers to try on all these because he gets to write a gossip mag. Right. Gets to write a memo from Petey's perspective, mm-hmm. one from Lori's perspective. He gets to write a will. Will Yeah, he gets to do all this, this, this crazy stuff that really kind of underlines the stuff he's trying to do in the episodes. Yeah. Uh, then we go to 1938, uh, New York City Police Department cadet graduation ceremony. Uh, everyone is honored by the white chief pinning their badge on them, except for Will, who has his badge pinned on by the only black officer in the ranks. 
and the guy tells him to beware the Cyclops. Did you ever th- think, because that's one of the things we had a question about in the uh, instant take, is how the use of color was used in this show. Because I mm-hmm. I think that it's used a lot like Spielberg did in, in Schindler's List, which is to underline some kind of emotional moment or something. It, it didn't seem like it had a rhyme or like, oh, this is stuff that's reminding him of Tulsa versus this is... I don't know. Did you did you crack the code or feel like you had a better handle on I, it? I mean, I still I came away from the second viewing still thinking it reminded him of Tulsa. Why was um, he the only? I mean, why was he the only colored <laughs> officer that was also depicted in mm, color though? Because like, yeah, I didn't notice that. That's more of him just like uh, isolating his isolation. You know, yeah. like drawing attention to like literally he's the only black officer until you see the other black officers. Which I don't know if you noticed this, but um, the Samuel Battle. Not only did he have a badass name, but he's actually real life uh, New York City's first black police officer. Yeah, so I read. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, uh, continuing honoring people like Bass Reeves and Samuel Battle. He's got an they, awesome name they, too. They, they all do like Bass Reeves, yeah. Samuel Battle. What yeah. the fuck? Like that's like that's a name you can be proud of. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's like uh, one of the alter egos of He Man's, you know, retinue. You know, Samuel Battle. Okay. He turns into the ass ripper or something. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. What is this American hero story? All right. Uh, yeah. You know what? I meant actually my mental image was like grabbing like an ass and ripping someone in half like a phone book. But it's okay. also unfortunate that I chose that, yeah. knowing that Will is is bisexual or gay and mm. and you know really gives it to the, the Captain Manhattan, Captain Metropolis rather. It's a yeah. Just I apologize. I was going for the ripping in half the phone book. Uh, yeah, you were. Because that's trying acceptable. To con- you were trying to conjure I was, I said, li- images, like not... literally destruction of yeah. a man, not sexually. Right. You know, so. Right. Okay, let's please. Not move that on. there's anything wrong with let's sexually destroying another man. We, we're going to move on now. Okay. Will takes his wife to a jazz club, a wholesome, non-ass ripping jazz club. No one's ass is being ripped in this classy establishment. Absolutely not. Um. He thinks that she's worried about his safety and his racial integrity uh, after joining the police force, but she's really more worried about how angry he is and what he's going to get up to with this badge and the stick they just gave him. Uh, he denies that he's angry, but the flashbacks seem to say otherwise. Ah, the the I'm not angry. What have I got to be angry about? The classic kissing cousin of what do I got to be depressed about? Uh, yeah. That's not how My feelings denial work, tells man. me I have nothing to be angry about. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's clearly seething. He just doesn't know how to express it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and he's he's like, what have I got to be depressed about? And it's telling that he's like that. You know, all that stuff happened a long time ago. I don't want to have to live in the past. And she's like, well, that's why you're so damn angry. Yeah, because you don't. Like no one does. Like you want to just go forward and be like, ah, it's a one time thing. But you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, as he's going to get shoved in his face again and again and again, um, even without the whole bullshit of the Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Like it is some bullshit that this white chief is giving out, like you know, uh, pinning medals on people's chests and being like, hey, you know, and he just skips the black guy because can't touch the black i mean without the the grand super sci-fi uh clan scheme it's still fucking super in your face racist and we'd be tough for him to deal with it's impossible to deal with it turns out yeah yeah he 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 deals with it just in an interesting way uh so moving on will's patrolling the streets um when he sees a man burn a jewish deli this guy's name is fred by the way i'm gonna be uh, important later. It's not George Remus because that's, no. that's how I refer to him mm-hmm. uh, in all of my notes. Because he, this is uh, Glenn uh, Fleshler uh, who pr- famously portrayed George Remus in Boardwalk Empire. 
had a very great. <laughs> I didn't know his his real name. <laughs> I, I, I looked I looked it up because he's he's been he's also the uh, the Yellow King, True Detective, yep. True Detective, and he's also doing he did really good work as the Chechenian I think gangster in Barry season one. Like he just mm-hmm. keeps coming and like he's he does something interesting and different with everyone else. Those three yep. performances are completely different. And uh, mm-hmm. now he's got the racist Jewish deli fire bomber under his belt. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he burns this deli. Will arrests him and hauls him into the station where the man puts his white word against Will's black one. And the other cops, uh, they say, we'll take it from here. And they throw up this symbol that we'll see throughout it's the, the episode. It's the flicking booger gesture. Uh-huh. That that I think that, 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 that the clan, like, you know, like that's flicking boogers right. is, is how they, they showed love for each other. I really need to check out the video to... to get what you're talking about there uh superman blew that story wide open back in his radio dramas come on kids you don't yeah. want to be at the booger flippers do you <laughs> you know they're they're meant for kids uh afterward will goes to a newsstand where he's shoulder checked by the same guy he just arrested and he asks the station desk clerk what the hell happened and he's told just go home let it be we are a racist police department here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't say that but and I'm not racist, but what do you want me to do? Something about it? I mean, <laughs> right. come on. Just, yeah. Let's just get along, guy. The, the the newsstand guy here is clearly reading Action Comics number one, which mm-hmm. if you know anything about comic books at all, you probably know this is the first appearance of Superman. Um, and they kind of talk about Superman as a character. And, and obviously that ties into like a lot of the stuff we've seen on the show. Um, the scene with Lady True. Sure. Uh, Will Reeves history what do you think the significance of the of the newspaper guy talking in german was because i thought that was interesting mm. and i feel like there's something there there mm-hmm. about like uh maybe he's he he struck up a friendship with this guy and and because there's one of the big theories was that uh uh hood of justice was a german strongman um and it had like a german accent and and you wonder like if if you take everything that uh Hol- uh um hollis Mason, what the hell was the Night Owl's name? Hollis, whatever his name was, the Night Owl one. If you take everything he said at at face value, then you got a lot of questions like, you know, Mm -hmm. what was with the German accent? What's with this? I wonder if uh, this is like Lindelof's kind of like winking explanation for it, or if there's uh, some other kind of like social commentary he's making about immigrants and being attracted to these stories of heroes. And I mean, we know clearly that he was misled in his tales of Hood of Justice, right? Because he assumed that he was a white guy a Mm -hmm. uh we know that not to be true now so yeah i don't know how much we can take seriously what he said uh about hood of justice sure the the other thing you i think you might have brought this up in uh the instant take but i feel like it warrants a little more discussion is how fucking stupid do these people think uh will and everyone everyone else around them who's not supposed to know that they're part of the kkk are because when you flash this symbol like let's say during this podcast you just started flashing a random symbol like in in my view no not that one no let's try a different one how about this one all right i I, I don't know what that means let's say but wouldn't my first question be what does that mean sure why why did you just do that what's the context for that uh but that's because they must have to hundreds of times of day of the of a day have to answer this question what what does that mean what why did you just do that what is that well i think you're right but i think it's a part of like you know the clansmen are probably not as clever as they think they are and two like the idea that like this secret society that could actually survive 
without the tacit support of the white establishment. Like, you know, like they're relying on guys like sure. this desk jockey to be like, oh, yeah, I see that and I know what it is. But fuck me if I'm going to get involved with the clan or the Cyclops or whatever, because like nothing good can happen to that. Like maybe, you know, if I want to be charitable, maybe nine out of out of ten police officers feel like that's a bunch of bullshit and they don't want to be associated with it. But if they're all intimidated by the one, then, you know, there, there's like this. um. Well, hmm. there's this, I don't I, I read this quote about something about living. I thought in, peer pressure worked the other way. Well, Where I the mean, majority out, force the minority into their own. Behaviors. Yeah, but it's like what you tolerate, it's like you know, what do you what do you have if you have a Nazi drinking with five of his friends at a table? Mm-hmm. You got six Nazis. That's like one of you the, should have six non Nazis. Yeah, think. you should have, or you should have five non Nazis to tell this other Nazi to get the fuck out of here. But like, yeah. that's not how this shit kind of like again. The only way, because it's not clever, it's not particularly well hidden. The only way it uh, it survives is by the tacit support of the the, the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's what they're playing with here. Because yeah, you're right. It is a bunch of silly shit. I mean, it's so obvious. Like, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's move on to sometime later. Will is walking alone when a few cops roll up and ask him to join them for a beer. He declines, but the cops grab him later in an alley and beat the shit out of him and then drag him out to a tree where they hang him. Uh, They cut him down just before he passes out and tell him, stay out of white white folks' business or next time they won't cut him down. Then he walks home, uh, stopping to save a couple who are uh, being beaten in an alley. And when he gets home, he confesses, to his wife that he is in fact angry yeah i like that he's like okay i'm angry yeah you know has his you know his knuckles his face but yeah uh i just beat the shit out of a bunch of people in an alley uh, i also really like minimalist superhero costumes like i really liked you know peter parker there's always an iteration where he's just got under you know like long johns that he's marked the spider on like Mm -hmm. uh you know season one daredevil the blind justice look just this guy you know, wearing civilian clothes with just this hood and noose around is kind of fucking metal. Um, it's like a scarecrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's spooky. Like, that's the thing is like the one of the things I saw going around a lot this week is people like it's kind of obvious in retrospect, this idea that you'd have this black superhero pretending to be a white man in a mask. And he's and like, if you think about it in that terms, like his costume just instantly comes together and like, mm-hmm. oh, otherwise it's like, what the fuck is this guy? He's got this thing. And he's like, is he a, he's a hangman? Like he's like the hangman's justice. But also, why has he got the noose around his neck and why are his wrists bound? And um, it's it's this it's this one of the world's greatest retcons of all time. Uh almost to the point where like I wish Alan Moore wasn't such a tool and he would actually watch this and give his opinion because like it would be it would be kind of interesting to see if that was something he always kind of noodled with the idea that this was I don't I don't think in a million years that that was the case but holy shit like yeah this uh, uh, and there's a lot of people saying that like every time they read the Watchmen now it's going to be with this in mind mm-hmm. um because it's it's just such a fantastic idea to reframe hooded justice this way yeah i think so um but and yeah, these I, scenes are super effective. Um, oh, yeah. As a viewer, I'm watching this just going like, you know, with with all tales of, of racial racial prejudice, uh, I'm, you know, looking at the injustice and going, God, that's sickening. But mm-hmm. also like the physicality of it here with the, the beatings and the hanging and everything just, man extremely engaging scenes that really put me in the position of will yeah and this this, this isn't just some dude on the street this is a police officer yeah um 
Like, yeah, there's no justice to be had. No, there's no no nowhere to be safe right. in in this world for for Will and, and that's and the thing Black that and I think Will was always counting on, right? Like uh -huh. the, why he probably joined the police force yeah. in the first place to I, try and get that justice. I want to be like Bass Reeves. I I, yeah. I want to take. I want to find the expose and bring these people to justice. And the fact that he's being beaten and cowed and uh, and made to feel powerless is, uh, you know, that second traumatizing event that like kicks off his superhero career. Yeah. And this is all illustrated in the next scene, um, where his wife, uh, let me ask you this. Is that tree they hung him from? No, it can't be. Cause this is in New York, right? right. It looks so much like the tree. I had that same question. Yeah. That but... The tree that Judd got hung from that. It's crazy. It's yeah. almost like I would believe that lady true dug it up and moved it over. <laughs> oh God. Cause it uh... looks, it looks so much like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's move on to Will's wife nursing his wounds the next day, uh, says he was in the paper and she then uses this near hanging event and the movie he used to watch as a child to make the point that he is not going to get justice with a badge. He's only going to get it with the hood. And she paints the area around his eyes white to protect his identity and, and to, to also give, uh, white folk a cause to believe in, uh, in some way. Right. And he becomes hood of justice. Like the, the, it's man, it's two. It's masks on masks. Yeah, he's got to become, you know, this masked superhero, but also change his own personal identity in some ways in order to get any kind of justice that he's looking for. Yeah, it's which really, seems like an injustice within itself. It's it's like makes up. you think that like if 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 Superman was a or a black man, would he have to wear white face to get anything done? Right. You know, because like. Uh, as we've seen, uh, 1930s America, not not super, super uh, progressive when it comes to, to race. Yeah, the hilarious thing, you know, hilarious in the saddest possible way is that he could probably have green skin. He could probably have blue skin uh, in the case of Dr. Manhattan, and people would accept him more uh, than if he had black skin. Depends. Certainly in 1930s America. I would love to see what people's reaction would have been to Dr. Manhattan had he started off life as a black man and not a, mm -hmm. a white man. Yeah. No, it'd, it'd be interesting. Yeah. Because I bet, or that it wouldn't matter because he'd still be Dr. Manhattan, but mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> whatever angst people felt about this guy being God would be like 10 times more angsty, I think. Yeah, th this scene, I really like this scene because it's in some ways a, a complete destruction of... Uh, so, sort of what Will thought of the world. Like his mm -hmm. entire worldview is torn down in these last two scenes. Yeah, this is the, the, the death of that. Like this is yeah. why the anger could no longer be contained because he was just hoping to channel it into some healthy, and this, this right. avenue is denied to him. And this movie is shown to be a sham. The real world doesn't work that way, yeah. especially the the world in which they're living. Yeah. Uh, and, and these two scenes really serve as kind of the the instigator of the whole Hood of Justice thing, obviously. Yeah. Um, so then it kind of breaks my heart though, I think, cause I, I, one of the things I was thinking about when she was given the speech is like how many black families have that talk about like black Panther, mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's the movie, but this is not right. real life. Like there is no Wakanda. There's nobody that's looking out for you. There's, you know, you, you, you gotta, I, I like, you know, uh, how bad that must suck to be that like, yeah, like now that you're getting some representation as, as and seen heroic is like, don't let it get to your head because it's too, it's too lollipop and sunshine and kittens. And I know yeah. I got, I, I, I have to imagine those conversations are taking place. Yeah, I think so. With any, any self-aware kind of parenting, I think mm -hmm. absolutely they would. Uh, so then Hooded Justice stakes out Fred's warehouse. 
and a few men go in the back door, gaining access with this Cyclops symbol that we've seen. So Will follows them in, and he kicks all of their asses, uh, their whole asses. Mm-hmm. He also finds evidence that their organization is uh, probably nationwide, if not, you know, it's at least regional. Yeah. Uh, it's it's spreading across the country. Yeah. Uh, he's chased out of this general store by Fred with a shotgun, jumping through a window to escape, and we kind of freeze there, and I'll talk what about a br- the rest of it and, later. And what a brilliant way to reframe, yeah. like, PD's... Uh, obsession with the historical accuracy of the Minutemen because like I think right. like he praised that like initial scene of uh where and it's like fictional on many different levels you know the fact mm-hmm. that it's you know obviously he's a black man but he was not there to stop a crime or a, a robbery he was there to expose this like vast insidious conspiracy yeah um, and there's some come up in a little bit for PD and the PDpedia yeah uh, around that where he says basically like he didn't have the historical knowledge that he thought he had what's up with the lettuce because yeah, like the, that, the first shotgun blast goes through a pile of lettuce is is that just a private joke or is there something to is there something to the lettuce some powerful is lettuce clan. a symbol of racism I, I don't know I don't know That's I've been eating it for years yeah. I should probably know if it's true I know well I mean like I, I've been. That, that's the thing. So like, don't don't drink the Kool Aid. Don't eat the lettuce. Yeah, no, that's a weird thing that the online fascists are doing nowadays. Is they like keep claiming different random symbols. Like, oh, if you yeah, the okay symbol, po- been... or if you pose with a glass of white milk, or if you do that yeah. with your fingers crossed, or if you do like do mm-hmm. that with your dick in a rutabaga. Like, eventually, it's like it's so ridiculous that like it collapses under its own. Way. And I think that's actually happening now. Like, just like when Superman started talking about the clan and treating treat him serious as an enemy, it's just like. Well, this is just this is just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, like I don't give a shit whether the OK symbols are racist symbol or not. Like, you know, I'm I, I you know why you have your dick in a rutabaga, man? Like, who are you? Who what are you, who are you even doing this for now? Like, owning the libs? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it has to. It's something that if it's gonna have that meaning, it has to catch on in a larger context. Yeah, or, or in the larger culture. Or it's and, just the OK sign on the floor. It's a booger flicker gesture. It's like, OK. Right. Or or like racists are the only one who see it as racist. And therefore, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't mean that. But I think generally. that's the utility that like you can use it unironically. Mm-hmm. And then someone calls you on it. Oh, I'm just, you know, that's just the Internet joke. Where if someone's like, aha, I see you, brother. Then it's like, yeah. you know, exchange yeah. booger flicks and, and you're on your way. Like, it's incredibly useful in, in that in that capacity. And maybe less... lettuce, maybe romaine lettuce. It's the, it's been the racist lettuce. I think we've all been thinking it. We've all been suspecting for a long time. Yeah, you know, iceberg yeah. stand up lettuce, recall, this romaine shit. Every time they recall it, I'm just like, why did they recall this? Why did they really fascist lettuce? I'm not an E. coli. No, uh-huh. no. How much E. coli you think there is? I, it's, it's a lot it was... less than there is racism. I can tell you that much. Adolf Hitler engineered romaine lettuce to <laughs> spread sal- salmonella uh-huh. to the masses. Mind control. Mind yeah. control lettuce. Yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of mind control, in this scene, we, we see a couple of things, not just that the uh, Cyclops stuff is spreading, but also there's this book called Mesmerism for the Masses mm-hmm. uh, that he picks up, and that will you know come into play significantly later. I also liked, in, in addition to all the, the commentary, that he has a lot of visual stuff, like, you know, um, he punched someone through the lookout, like you know the mm. fake one punched the camera, and then there's a oh. lot of the same moves with tables and chairs from the cold open. Was stuff that the real Hood of Justice did in this scene. I thought it was interesting the way they're kind of remixing real history with fake history, keeping in mind it's all 
kind of fake history. Yeah. It's it's I like what they're doing with that. I really like the choreography. Oh I mean, yeah. These fight scenes are really good. Really like, cool. Really good. <laughs> the one that gets me is when he's this uh clans member's got him in a headlock and he just does this backwards body slam right yeah. on the guy's head. Yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't like actually show the impact, but mm-hmm. you feel it. Uh some good stuff there. Then we move on to uh kind of a break in the action. Uh Angela slash Will is still frozen in this uh, through the window freeze frame. It's the Zack the Zach Snyder shot. Yeah. Uh, and Lori and Cal show up through this haze of memories to try and pull Angela out of the effects of nostalgia. Uh, they've given her a shot of adrenaline and they're trying to read her this prepared statement, but it doesn't really work. She's sucked back into the memories. I love how they're trying to like their 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 faces like pulsing with color, like it's yeah. trying to resolve the reality, but she's just her heart's probably beating at a hundred and thirty yeah. BPMs and Yeah, but she's got way too many of grandpa's memories yeah. uh chugging their way through the bloodstream and it's not yep. not not all the adrenaline in the world, Lori. No. It's gonna it's gonna end this trip. Heart's gonna explode before that <laughs> happens. Uh and then Nelson Gardner shows up at Will's house. We're back in the memories now. Uh and he's got this thinly veiled offer to have Hooded Justice join a new team that Captain Metropolis is forming called the Minutemen. Um, this is sort of the or- origin story of the the original Minutemen from the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he lures them into uh, the deal by vaguely promising that the Minutemen will go after the Cyclops. Uh, no one is fooled by this subterfuge at all. In fact, when when the you know the jig is like halfway up, Will's wife just bursts out laughing because mm-hmm. it's all so so thinly veiled. It's right. all so obvious, right? Uh, and she calls you know Nelson Gardner on his him being Captain Metropolis. It's it's really good. I see you flicking boogers. Yeah, you can't. This is some thinly veiled shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's a hint. So like. This is where uh, the homosexual stuff starts to come in, right? There's this like touch of the hand when he's passing him the business card. It's the sex stuff you the referred sex, to. The sex yeah. stuff, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, turns out he does use the hood for sex stuff. You know, the guy's yeah. not totally wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but his wife, I think, takes note of it, right? She looks over it, and she's like, got this very... No, they have an interesting relationship. Like I said, like, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how, like, a, what, a six, seven, eight-year-old boy... Uh, forms like a romantic relationship with this infant that he kind of adopts as like, oh, I think they would they would fall into like a brother sister type relationship. So mm-hmm. I was actually somewhat surprised later when she mentioned being pregnant because I was thinking like maybe they're not even in like a sexual relationship at all. Mm-hmm. Um, no, seemed to be. But you know this is a kind of relationship of convenience. But like at, you know the more I watched it, the more I'm like I don't really care. Like yeah, that's not the point. Yeah. Like yes, uh, they are gay lovers. So what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if uh, let me let me ask you this: if mm-hmm. if there are people out there who are like rah rah, uh, go kick the racist ass, mm-hmm. and then they look at it and they go, oh god, he was gay. Yeah, that too. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do we what are we doing here? If you can't be offended by either of these things, right? Uh, if you're not offended by either of them, yeah, there might be something they're doing here with like. Um... You know, one of the things that like the FBI used to try to take down Martin Luther King and a lot of black activists is like, you know, either drug scandal or a sex scandal. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, they that's that's one of the things that the dirt they tried to the, they did collect on Martin Luther King, the fact that he was not faithful to his wife. And I wonder if they're like, 
you know, and a lot of people, like, if you know things about Martin Luther King, you know about his, you know, work towards on, on civil rights, but also you probably know about the infidelity that people smeared him with. But, like, a lot, hardly anybody knows about, like, uh, you know, the fact that Martin Luther King advocated for socialism. And I wonder mm-hmm. if it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, a secret buried beneath a secret. Mm-hmm. Kind of like they're trying to, you know, everyone is speculating about, oh, he's gay, he's gay. That's the hood of justice secret that, like, it further protects the other truth about him that never gets out i wonder i don't know because i'm always that's the thing it's like lindelof is working on like three different levels on almost every scene so like it's not just nothing that this guy is in a a, a bisexual relationship unconventional Mm -hmm. bisexual relationship here yeah i don't think so. what does it mean um so moving on to probably that night Certainly a little bit later, mm-hmm. uh, the two men are having sex and they talk about why Will joining the Minutemen is so vital. Um, although uh, Captain Metropolis here tells him, like, look, if you do join, you'll have to stay covered up because some of the Minutemen are not as open-minded as he is. Uh, later, Will's wife worries about him joining the Minutemen and says, uh, she, she asked him to recount the story of the first time they met and then tells him that she's pregnant. Uh, spoiler alert they met as children yeah we uh, find I, out i think in this scene that they were yeah that she's the the baby mm-hmm. that he picked up in the field yeah and he, he does something interesting in this performance like he there they he shows he has very mixed feelings like he it seems like he's happy initially to hear that there's a baby on the way but then also like this kind of worry and doubt and it's got to be because that's something else that lindelof talked about in yes. the podcast is that like yeah children are very antithetical to like a heroic lifestyle because mm-hmm. you know attachments in general any kind of attachments but, children. but certainly children is like the the most attached you can be to another being on a planet and uh that like that's there's there's a reason a lot of superheroes don't have children mm-hmm. um and they don't get married for that matter um and i i definitely think you can kind of kind of see that yeah yeah it's played that way it's so I the that Joelle Monique on the AV Club. Um, the I talked about her in the beginning of the podcast, but she had a really interesting take on this scene when she said to Captain Metropolis, saying, You know, well, you have to cover up around everybody because the other heroes aren't as tolerant as me. She explains that this is coded language for like, I'm not racist, but my friends hate you. And she goes in to talk about similar phrases like, Well, you're not black, black, or well, you're a credit to your race, <laughs> or you're so articulate. And You're not black, black. That's an insult, right? <laughs> yeah. And she she mentioned that these are negotiations most Black Americans manage internally when entering conversations with white individuals, particularly those with power. How am I being used? Does my appearance here hurt my community? Are the words being said to me genuine? Can these promises be kept? Should I leave this opportunity on the table and attempt to forge my own way? And it's like all those things i were not obvious to me but like i thought so mm-hmm. i thought she helped me appreciate it's like you know what a minefield it must be like when a, a white person like takes a shine to you like hey what can, how can i help you like that's yeah that's the, and even when it's not meant to be that's that's fucking loaded language absolutely and this turns out to be exactly that right captain mm-hmm. metropolis is really only interested in starting up this group for his own seemingly personal uh, financial, right. uh, reputational gain. Uh, he doesn't have any interest in pursuing the goals of Hooded Justice. Yeah, he's co-opting and appropriating this black man's cultural innovation, uh, dressing up in a hood and beating the shit out of people for his own, to, yeah. to, to, to later popularize and, and profit off of it. 
Yeah, and we it's, see that in the very next scene where Will agrees to join the Minutemen and then he tries to give this speech uh, about this KKK problem in the city, but he's cut off by Captain Metropolis who wants to focus on Moloch and he turns the press conference into this really gross and racist uh, sponsorship opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you look at the National Bank poster that he unveils here. Which Angela, we saw her like in episode two kind of like wrinkle her nose at when she saw it. Right. Uh, like, huh, interesting. Yeah, like it. Hmm. It's, it's it makes one... me wonder if Captain Metropolis is not on board with your goals, and you have a mind control machine. Mm. <laughs> why are you not using it? Uh, maybe he did, and it just didn't work. I uh, know. I mean, well, you read that. You read that uh, letter that that will that mm-hmm. that Captain Metro leaves and you work backwards from the principle that like, you know, maybe that wasn't a, uh, uh, like a saw on the road to Damascus kind of light flashing moment. Maybe that was, or if it was a light flashing, maybe it's a movie light flashing. Like, I don't know. There's you, you, you could read that as saying like, that's not a genuine conversion. That's uh, will using his, uh, camera technology to turn, uh, Captain Metropolis. And then if he did 1971, like that's an awful long time to wait to accomplish your goal. If you have the mesmerizer in the thirties or, or does mesmerizer work after one exposure though? Cause I feel like that this was something that like they were working on the community over time as it's not like the first time they did it, like ban this Capitol theater, but I I I don't don't know. We don't ever see Judd exposed to it other than this one time. So I would assume it works on the first time. Yeah, You're right. You're right. The technology, it's, it's not like you have to be built up to it. But clearly, it's modified tech too, right? Probably with Lady True's help. Yeah. Um, it's been flashlighted. Oh yeah, uh, maybe they perfected form. it. Yeah, right, miniaturized a little bit. Yeah, uh, although not all that much. Yeah, you that's would true. you would think it could be miniaturized a little more sure. uh-huh. than this huge. It looks like it takes eight D cell batteries. Well, if they had Manhattan batteries widely available, but they're oh, making, but they're yeah. short supply. Yeah, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. KKK's got them all. <laughs> Yeah, the racist have dominated the lipo market yeah. in this dystopia. It does just seem weird to me that the the Minutemen would go on for years and years and years not you know, promoting the causes of, of hooded justice when he's got mind control gear. Yeah. Uh well anyway. and also like what there's a lot of like yada yada after you know, like what we, we I think we 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 know enough about Will to see why he was disillusioned with the hero stuff and why he retired and and you know kind of left in disgust. But also, mm-hmm. um, Will doesn't seem like the type of guy who would abandon his crusade for justice that easily. So there is we you know these memories are the things that Will wanted Angela to know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot left out. Like from you know the time he wipes tries to keep his son from following his footsteps to it like flashes forward to the night of judge. So what are where are the missing things there? Um, yeah, there's I, still a lot missing. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, we didn't see exactly when he hung it hung it up. What was the straw that broke the camel's back? Was it a gradual process? What was he doing? Like we have little bits and pieces in his pedophile. Of like you know the fact he was running a uh, a movie projector mm-hmm. or he's running a theater in Harlem that's super interesting for a guy with mind control movie technology like what uh-huh. might he be doing with that in in, in Harlem to, for maybe positive effect like what was right. his mission did what, what did he do in the times where he was in remission and out of pub, a public eye and I would be curious to know if there's some like epicenter of of uh, you know um, 
civil rights brewing in 75 in Harlem. I yeah. didn't do the historical I research. I look as like, because... as you know, you've, you've always heard of the Harlem Renaissance, but that took place yeah. like in the 20s. It, 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 it was kind of the New York version of the, the black Wall Street going on in Tulsa. Um, and I didn't see any like corresponding thing in like sixties or seventies, but okay. I did as much research as you can do in a day and a half right. between the episode aired. So I, if forgive me if I got that wrong. The other thing that this, uh, mind control tech kind of throws into question, um, which we're not even at that scene yet. It's the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about it is it, it provides a little more context on what lady true might be talking about when she says this is this nostalgia stuff is a very passive aggressive uh, route to go with Angela mm. because he could just point that flashlight at her and get her to, to do whatever she needs to do to kind of see, you know, what, what her past is and like, sure. If they need Angela to do something specific, they could they make, make her, her do, do it. it. Yeah. But then as he said, you could do the same thing with your daughter, I guess, which, right. So why it's more like, um, you know, is it, there's this similar concept in, in Mr. Robot, like, uh, that, you don't want you want someone to join your cause of their own free will mm-hmm. not because they're forced to or, and like you know this idea of like well if you knew what i knew you'd be on my side like that you you hear that uh, you, that that's you know you, or you got to walk a mile in someone's shoes to understand them like this is a great yeah i mean if this if this if this drug were real it would solve a lot of the world's problems nostalgia yeah like yeah. if you could you could like live through a few other people's lives not just here in the united states but around the world like you know, we talk about this, like that is an empathy bomb, you yeah. know, like it's, it's, it's hard to judge a person when you know exactly how they feel and the struggles they've been through and, and, and perfect contrast to your own. So I could see, yeah, now it's, it's interesting. Like why does, what, why would Angela hate him after this? Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm thinking there's another shoe to drop because this seems like it would be a fairly heroic reframing. Like she's got some complicated feelings about Judd and how he's mixed up with all, all this because he died kind of professing his innocence. Yeah. But, you know, did he really intend her to hate him because he killed uh, Judd? Because I kind of feel like she believed that anyway. Like she knew it was like impossible, but also, yeah, yeah. he did it somehow. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I think there's something else that's going to be revealed that will be make her hate him yeah we now have two forms of of sort of persuasion we've got uh nostalgia which can be a powerful persuasive drug um if fed the right memories it could Mm. also um with the mesmerizing stuff could be uh mind control device we're we're, and i'm talking about this in like context of the millennium clock Mm. that we know is about to be completed um there are a lot of theories out there about what that could be, and we were all kind of on this nostalgia bomb thing for a long time. You know, this puts a new wrinkle in it. It could be some sort of projecting device that will mm-hmm. get everyone within the vicinity uh, to do what they want. Now, I think it's interesting in concept in context of the uh, what we know about Lady True from the PDpedia now. She has 50-some... She's very involved in uh, space tech... Mm-hmm. technology um she's got like 50 voyager style probes out there um we know that she has an uh what they call an eye on mars which is an observation platform which i assume is very similar to the one that is around europa yeah yeah and that that's where we caught... saw that footage of uh manhattan destroying the sandcastle right now i'm i'm just i'm saying all this to wonder if she could use her space tech somehow to project worldwide something uh 
some mm. kind of signal that would force people to do something. Yeah, because I was thinking like with a flashing light theory, it's like, man, that a millennium clock, I wonder, like you could probably see that for, I don't know how many miles. It's so tall and big. Like if there's like on the launch, yeah. if everyone goes outside to look at whatever it's going to do and she does some kind of light show that does... But then it's like question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. What exactly would she be doing with it? And what does that have to do with telling time, right? Because yeah. I, I think we we're all still broadly on board with the idea that that statement was like, kind of kind of tongue in cheek. Same reason Flavor Flav carried that big clock. He wanted to know. He wanted motherfuckers to know what time it was, Jim. All right. Yeah. That sense, that sense of tell time. That's what she meant. Yeah. The next, the next three episodes are going to be a rap opera set to Public Enemy. <laughs> Man, I, bring it on. I, <laughs> I want that now. I have to see it. There'll be a three thousand foot tall flavor flavor with the Millennium Clock around his, yeah. his neck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's, I guess, talk about the the mind control scene because we've talked all about it, but haven't recapped it. Mm -hmm. uh, a few years pass as their child is born and grows into a boy. Probably like six to eight years old. Yeah. Say he's Kevin McAllister's age. And the, the important thing is, they stay, you see him like looking at his dad, putting on like he, mm -hmm. this is not a hidden identity to your family, which like seems like a, a liability when that kid goes off to school. But yeah, but absolutely. he's uh, he's enthralled with his father and what what he's doing here, the same way Will was with his father and seeing that kind of that mm -hmm. uh, and with Bass Reeves. Yes, yes, that he was like, you know, wanted to put on his son, his father's uh, uniform. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, riot breaks out at a black theater and Will is sent in to deal with it. He asks a woman what happened and she said some lights started flickering and she felt compelled to hurt someone. Uh, Will tries to report that the Klan is using mind control to turn the black community against itself to Captain Metropolis. Was this lady, was this black lady a psychic and she like, this was a psychic blast? Because like, it wasn't clear to me what the fuck she did. Like, what was the actual, like, like the streets flipped, the shit's flipped over in the streets, things are sparking, it looked like a bomb goes off, and like... I think they just all started attacking each other. Oh. Because that's, because that later on they in the episode... They did say it's like a riot, right? So it's yeah, like, just like, yeah. everyone spontaneously turned on each other. Okay. Okay, because like... Yeah, it, this, and, and people the central chairs like, out. And... Like, like, the central, like, the lady sitting there and crying made it feel, feel like she was at the epicenter, and I'm like, well, maybe uh... she's like latent psychic power, and... But like, okay, it <laughs> okay. makes... It, what you're, you're, it's what like you a said Jean Grey sort sense. of thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Captain Metropolis thinks this is ridiculous. Uh, but then Fred shows up. And Will puts a bullet in his head, then goes inside his warehouse and kills every clan member he can find. He burns the bodies and the warehouse, but not before swiping a mesmerizer for himself. Uh, and yeah, this is a scene where we kind of see, you know, exactly why the riot broke out. Um, yeah, they're recording a mesmerizing tech. track that's about just like, you know, uh, attacking. Uh, you know, it's, it's delivered to a black audience and it's talking about it, you know, turning towards each other, never attack a white person. Uh, right. pretty pretty gross shit yeah it's it's I think classic divide and conquer mm -hmm. uh, strategy but also it allows them uh, it uh, affords the uh, the racist white community a sort of PR win like they, they can point to this and yeah, say sure. look at this uh -huh. these, these people are terrible when in fact they've manufactured this whole damn thing from the beginning yeah and that that's the thing is like I think that's a real line. That's the thing that bothered me is like I that's a yeah. line that you can clearly draw through history, and I don't think it's it's really stopped to our day. And it felt weird to frame that as like a technological conspiracy rather than a a um you know like a supervillain plot rather than like a systemic kind of effort. 
uh, systemic dis- and, and decentralized effort. But you know, they have a good point that like a lot of the the reason the, a lot of that has spread traditionally is through media portrayals and going back to the mm-hmm. birth of the nation, going back to you know how uh up until very recently minorities have been portrayed in, in media as like you know mostly like gangsters and thugs and yeah um so like i i get i get what they're trying to do it's still weird to me and it wouldn't also surprise me if there's another reveal um that 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 maybe draws us into a little bit sharper focus but i think i appreciate what they're doing with what they're doing um when will gets home his son is dressed up in his hooded justice uniform will freaks out about it and his wife tells him that the hood has turned him into a monster essentially and she takes his son and leaves for tulsa i loved what they're doing with the soundtrack here this kind of like Mm. uh you know uh, chaotic improvised jazz kind of drumming to kind of show the the... they do it a couple times this episode yeah yeah. and it's always there's this like you know particular around these particular emotions and Mm -hmm. it's funny because like does Will not want his son to become him? Because clearly his father did not want him to become who he was, which was another angry, angry black black man. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like you know, it feels like he's trying to to, to round up the close the barn door while the horse is already well out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this ties in with you know the idea of legacy that uh, Lindelof et al are going for. Yeah. Uh, th- this this stuff, you know permeates the the boundaries of the generations whether mm-hmm. you want it to or not mm-hmm. and you know whether you think that's a physical transference via chemicals in a mother's womb or something mm-hmm. uh or if you think it's just a cultural one i think this these this episode does a lot to sort of illustrate that and it worked for me mm-hmm. uh then we transition to the night of judd's death modern day again uh, old will uses a flashlight sized version of the mesmerizer to mind control judd into hanging himself then Angela is pulled out of these memories by Will's wife. Yeah, I don't. That's the, As, sort of. I mean, like this. I think I think you're right. And but I'm also wondering. It's like she's talking to her, but also maybe to Will. Yeah, and like that's that's where the missing pieces are. Like, who is she uh-huh. talking to? I think you're supposed to understand she's talking to maybe Angela. But how, but how would Will that know be? that? Yeah, if they never reconciled, and it seems like from a lot of the information we had that they didn't. Like, I, mm. th- this is one of the central mysteries. Like, who is that lady to Angela? Who is that lady to Will? Right. And, and I, this is one of the things I think he wants her to realize yeah, eventually. But why? Yeah. To what end? Uh, and then she finds herself in a bed at Lady True's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. Uh, th- th- they probably just essentially used dialysis on Angela to pull these chemicals out of her system. Yeah, something. It, it looks like the clean. device is filtering blood. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh so no, I I don't think like we speculate on the instant take that maybe all these are suppression chemicals right, and they right. somehow were injecting her with something that blocked the nostalgia and maybe that's what doing it to her could daughter. Be. And I, I wonder could if that's be, but it looks like dial- dialysis to me. Yeah, no, I, I, could that explain the gap in history why it flat that like, you know, she was having the chemicals removed so like she didn't get all the the memories processed? Hmm. Because there is like a like a fairly big gap in history between what the mid fifties and twenty nineteen, like that yeah. entire with with or, a uh, flash of old black lady mysterious black lady thrown in there as a bridge. Right, I, I think we need to remember. So, so yes, as she's coming out of it, I think that's definitely the case. Like there were more memories that she could have had access to, but we have mm-hmm. to remember like these are memories specifically chosen 
by Will. Well, not only that, but Lady True's working for Will, so like, why would she like whatever right. she saw was and she was intended to see no more, no less, because like sure. you know, but I, I unless yeah, they're somehow not working together anymore, but they are. Yeah, they've got to be. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it seems to me like one of these scenes indicates that Will at some point went to Tulsa after after his wife and son left um, and was just told to leave again. Hmm. Yeah, because there's like this, uh, also she's coming out of there's that voiceover where she says, you know, you stay away from Tulsa and me and your son. But I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if she said that as like the final thing she said to Will before she walked out of the door in New York or like I, if I, she was in Tulsa. Why, why did she think she was in she Tulsa? I thought she looked older. In, the, mm. in that scene. Was that scene the same scene where she says, she does look like you, I'm going to take you home now, honey? I don't know, man. Yeah. Because there's, there's also that still... It's all just like flashing and, and it's That's got to be tied into the accident in Vietnam and how her and Cal, like, yeah. you know, her parents dying and then this person who's, I like, get... Right. But why wouldn't she remember, you know? Like if, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. And, and and also, how would Will know? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's All a couple of mysteries. Questions. I suspect we're going to get answers to these a lot earlier than we're going to get answers to like the clock. But shit, there's only three episodes left, so I'm not gonna have to wait yeah. long for uh, apparently any of these things, according to Lindelof. And that's the end of this one. We should talk about the Pedipedia real quick. Okay, Pedipedia. Um, I guess I should be explaining this every week, but this is an actual like alternate reality game kind of sort of uh, that the HBO is running on the HBO website. Uh, you can get to it by search- searching for PD, uh, PD the PD files. And if you're a fan of the the comic book, you'll yeah. you'll compare them as Lindelof does to the sort of inserts that were between chapters in mm-hmm. in the uh, original comics. Yep. And uh, the first one was is a memo entitled "Who Has One Eye and Loves Evil's Plans," and this is a memo written from the perspective of Lori. And I love it. It's, yeah. it's the rebuttal. It's the it's the response to all the shitty memos that Petey's been sending out about yeah. Lori's past. All and, these passive aggressive, yeah. like you know, she's kind of calling him out for his talking out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also there's she gives him a couple directives of to find this uh, will that we're going to read next. Um, will and Testament, not like our will, <laughs> Will Reeves. And also to bring in mirror, go ahead and bring in mirror guy because she, he flipped so fast on Angela yeah. that it's suspicious to her. I, I said this at the end of the last yep. episode. I'm like, is Looking Glass going to be hauled in? Because damn, that looks suspicious. It sure does. And apparently she is. And, and that's what makes me feel like they're keeping us exactly one mm-hmm. episode ahead of the timeline with these PDPedia things. Mm-hmm. Uh, she mentioned something we already talked about, which is Angela talked this entire experience like four or five hours w- uh, into this trip. I guess nostalgia abuse is called waxing. So five hours into his waxing trip, uh, she got all these this this stuff recorded on tape. So everything that Angela knows, I think you understand. Maybe she doesn't have all the context around it, but like you know, she clearly picked up the Cyclops thing. Mm -hmm. She sees the connection between that and the Seventh Cavalry. She understands that uh, Angela's grandfather murdered Judd with a mind control device. That Mm -hmm. the other thing is like it seems like this mind control technology is not common knowledge. Like I, right. I, yeah, this yeah. is something because she comments that oh the seven K yeah, and then she you mentions know, this... that there's this MC tech that the clan was working on in the forties and fifties, and I'm guessing that means mind control, yeah. you know, MC mind control tech, mm-hmm. and and so, but I, I guess people's uh, conception of it is that it just never worked, or maybe it's like. Uh, you know that MK Ultra shit the CIA yeah. was doing in the sixties. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, let's inject people with LSD and shit, or, or and, any of the Nazi experiments. And, like, yeah, all like, that just, shit. Just fuck that with people like... to see if it worked, but like, it, it didn't really lead to anything because it's right. they're, they're crazy 
a fundamentally crazy experience. But in this mm. in this universe, uh, that yielded some 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 bad fruit. And uh, she says that she's going to go visit uh, Judd's widow yep. to see what she can, what information she can get about mm-hmm. him being in the clan. And so then, expect to see that next episode. And she also reminds him to feed her owl, who, <laughs> right? Uh, because he he needs to eat mice. Uh, then the next file is entitled "Evidence: The Will of Nelson Gardner," who we know as Captain Metropolis. And this is Petey reporting back at the direction of Agent Blake that she sent him to go find this will, and he gives a bunch of background information on Nelson Gardner that he was served as a Marine in the Banana Wars. Have you heard about the Banana Wars, Jim? No. This is like where the term Banana Republic comes uh, to, from. To the point where I thought it was fake because it's such a stupid name. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's a really stupid war. But there's a period in the 30s starting in 1900 mm-hmm. where United States started flexing its muscle in the tropics, the Caribbean, the Bahamas, Central South America. Uh, and they would take over and install friendly regimes uh, so that fruit companies could successfully exploit these countries for their, their their tropical fruit exports, chiefly bananas. Okay. And he, uh, Nelson, apparently served under his major general, Smedley Butler, and I looked him up. He <laughs> that wrote, is not. That is the opposite of a badass no, name. That is no Samuel Battle. No, we need we need a smithy warface or something <laughs> right. to, to, to equal that. Uh, but he wrote a book in 1935, which is f- kind of five years after all this uh, died down, called War is a Racket. This is one of the chief heroes of the Banana Wars, where upon he denounced the role that he had played in the wars, described him himself as a high-class muscle for big business, for Wall Street, and for bankers, a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. Hmm. Uh, so there's a guy regretting his uh, his involvement in some Banana Wars. Which is, yeah, on on theme for for Gardner, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also shows that uh, this will was presented to Will Reeves mm-hmm. at his place of employment in the 1970s, a movie theater in Harlem. Yeah. Which, as we've mentioned, is interesting. Uh, that Nelson Gardner died coming home from protesting the repeal of the 22nd Amendment, which, if you don't know, is the amendment that codified that presidents can only serve for two terms uh, no longer. Um, and- you know, his protest did not work. Yeah, it did not. Uh, and crucially, he was ejected from his vehicle in this accident, decapitated, his head mm-hmm. never found, and his will directed that his remains be thoroughly destroyed. Yeah. So a lot of people are picking up uh, on the fact that maybe he didn't die here, that he faked his death for some unknown reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, the long shot of the will is that he left everything to Will Reeves. They haven't spoken since 1955. He hasn't even heard from Will since he sent a sternly written letter rejecting um, affiliation with the Crime Busters back in 1966. And he says if Will doesn't take the, like, the physical inheritance, which includes a lot of uh, Minutemen memorabilia and copyrights and other stuff, to donate that to the Southern Poverty Law Center. And it, he also wants them to impress upon Will the fact that this giant donation of money is intended as an apology and penance for his sins against him and his neglect and subversion of his noble work. Uh, mm-hmm. And that he since learned that all stances are political, even non-political stances, uh, and that he realized he derived much of his wealth uh, and fame from association with the Hood of Justice and his appropriation of his imagery. So my question is, this is a large sum of money that might be useful for a crime fighter to cri- fight, fight crime and injustice on a larger scale. Are we to understand that maybe Will took this money at some point? Could be, yeah. Uh, I mean, the the end of that will also says that his 
assets are to be liquidated. If Will doesn't want it, liquidate my assets, put it in a trust, and leave it there with the um, with the impression that it is there for him when he wants it. Yeah. And if not, just let it fucking rot. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, there, there's even if he doesn't accept it at the time of presentation, he could have gone back for it later. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if we have like a, a third stage Bruce Wayne situation where Nowhood of Justice had some money behind him. Okay. And, you know, what has he been, what has he been involved in like any of the Adrian Veidt stuff? He's clearly involved in Lady True stuff, which as we're going to discuss in this next clip, there's a, this, so this next clip is Lady True Fact or Fiction. And this is uh, written in the style of a puff piece by a high society kind of scribbler. You know, like the type of yep. person, like like a Vanity Fair, that would go and sit one on one for with with Elon Musk mm-hmm. uh, or Elon Tusk, and uh, see what they're all about. Uh, but it turns out Lady Shrew doesn't grant interviews, and she didn't do it this one. So this per- this is the reporter propounding a bunch of salacious facts about Lady True to her publicist, and her publicist uh, either answers it or, or denies it or whatever. Um, what are some things that 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 kind of jumped out at you, Jim? Um, so a lot of stuff about her mother, uh, she, she wrote a book about, well, first of all, she wanted to raise a genius, um, mm-hmm. the, the smartest person or whatever. So she set out specifically to do that and then wrote a memoir about it called, uh, Pachyderm Mom, uh, essentially translated, which have you heard of the tiger mom essentially book? means thick skinned mom. Uh, yes, I have heard. Of yeah. That. This, this, uh, uh, Asian lady by the name of Amy Chua. Yeah, uh, wrote a, a, a it's kind of extolling or I don't know I, I I did a lot of research and it's like I don't know if she's extolling it or she was just kind of explaining the way she's raised and like satir- satirical look but it's it's a common stereotype that Asian parents are demanding mm-hmm. um, when it comes to like scholastic achievement and artistic achievement and you know demand excellence um, and you know can can do things that uh, some might consider emotionally abusive or manipulative in the goal to inspire and motivate their children. And, uh, it, it this, this pachyderm mom, I think is, is the, the gray leathery giant eared counterpart counterpart <laughs> to the tiger mom. Uh, right. yeah. I, I found it sort of interesting that lady true got to pick her own name at five years old. Yeah. I probably would have picked like Mario or link. Right. <laughs> she chose a historical figure mm-hmm. or potentially mythological figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, also much like, more cultured than I was at the same Age. The article mentions that Lady True is going to plans to raise her, her own daughter by the same um, methodology, and is yeah. interesting that she chose to be named uh, Bien, which right. is her mother's name. Right. But this also, that's so delicious because it feeds into like, oh, this was a clone of her mother, or this is an attempt to. Yeah. Con- so there's a really interesting theory on Reddit, and I don't, I don't normally when I read Reddit note the usernames, but I wanted to here mm-hmm. because. Um, this theory is very much based on like cultural knowledge of, of the Vietnamese. Mm. Uh, it's user Yikesis, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, it says essentially that this name means mystery or secret, and it's actually a very silly name for a Vietnamese person to have, and you might have it in 2019, but you damn sure wouldn't have had it in the 30s or 40s whenever uh, Lady True's mother was born. It would be a truly ridiculous name back then. Um, and... Also, um, this this nightmare that uh, Beyond uh, has, which is likely the, I don't know how to pronounce this, I think it's My Lai Massacre, mm-hmm. which happened in 68. It's it's probably that real-life event mm-hmm. that she's remembering. Um, and because of of the, the lineup of the time 
that it happened and also this this thing this person having the same name as the grandmother uh, as her grandmother thinks that this is probably a clone of Lady True's mother which I think makes a lot of sense uh, when looked at from that perspective yeah I don't know it's it's interesting to me that this would be a clone of her mother I don't I don't know the, how that changes like you know the what effect it has on the story well I also the, one of the ideas I had is that maybe this was a clone of Lady True herself and that she's like running this like through an iterative process like I'll eventually have a perfect child if my mom raised me at this method and I raise a clone of myself at this method and she continues to do this like but what if she raised a clone of her mom with that method how perfect is that is it is that better or worse? Because it wasn't. I mean, in, I gotta in know so many ways, it's better her and mom worse. Was pachyderm mommed, uh-huh. or did she pioneer the concept? Oh, the mom of the mom. Yeah. Does she? Did this? <laughs> I mean, clear. Okay, that's I withdraw. That's ridiculous. Like, uh, yeah, come on. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's just silly. Uh huh. She also has four doctorates: astrophysics. Got him by the age of fifteen. Yeah. Uh, Pretty impressive. crazy astrophysics, nuclear fission, bioengineering, and nanochemistry, all things that you might be using if you were in space tech, if you were in, I don't know, mind control tech, uh, energy tech. Mm -hmm. See a lot of that stuff. Uh, Her mom hired a, 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 what was he, some kind of martial artist to train her daughter in the ways of fighting, and then the final exam was supposed to be a fight to the death, which the guy resigned. Right. But- it's interesting, but both a mental and physical fight to the death is what it was. Yeah, framed as. which was interesting in light of like what we've seen, you know, with the psychic blasts and like and the mind mental control, control device, yeah. the technology, um, and the 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 spokesperson is very dismissive of the claim. Yeah, but also you get the idea that the spokesperson is you know not telling the truth throughout the the article. Um, what did you think? Um, we talked. We already talked about the fact she's launched these probes and yeah, she's got this microfusion the, the propulsion technology. Which and I, I was I was tying this in with the save. So have you seen the save my daughter theory or save me daughter theory? No. Around uh, Vite. So so right, we, right, we right, noted that it says D. save me yep. D. Yeah. We we're thinking Doctor Manhattan. We were thinking Dan. We were thinking. Just like Character fucking names. B- b- members of the patriarchy, we, we overlooked the possibility that right. this is a cry for help from a woman yes. or for a woman. Uh, God damn it, we we got we got hoodwinked again. Yeah, but if you if you think about okay, this is most likely Lady True's satellite mm-hmm. observation platform, whatever that's picking him up here. Mm-hmm. Save me, daughter would make a ton of sense, perhaps if he turns out to be her father somehow. Yeah. Don't know where the lead-in is on that theory, but it's not totally out of the question. Yeah, and the whole uh, idea of like reverence for one's ancestors also applies to your parents. So, like mm-hmm. that would show why she had him in especially high regard. Like she, we see what she thinks about her mother. Like she yeah. reveres her. So, absolutely, and I think it's also interesting that one of these paragraphs in here, one of these fact or fiction points, is that the comedian was her father. There could be a slight truth to this. It's not the comedian, however. It's Vite. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's also, like, uh, an interesting comment about, like, Lady uh, being essentially neither confirming or denying that she had a relationship with the comedian other than that his Uh unit visited her village and he was very charming. Like, I'm like, interesting. Because this all feeds into, like, the idea that, like, 
the comedian got the oh, girl. Maybe even this was Lady True is the one that uh, the mother he killed. But we know that can't be true. And also this establishes that like there's between seven and ten yeah. uh, kids that he fathered across the globe in his uh, you know doing dirty works for for Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, in his sex stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she also supports a. Re, uh, 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 there's apparently a rebel Vietnamese front that's fighting for independence. She supports their mm-hmm. cause, but not their methods. Yep. Um, also, she's the one that um, uh, has learned to synthesize lithium, uh, so they could re- to start using the Doctor Manhattan t- type of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she also funded a study to disprove the Manhattan cancer hypothesis. Um, and apparently this thing where Dr. Manhattan built and destroys the sandcastle, this is something that like happens regularly, uh, all the time over and because over again, yeah. the public has expressed like a boredom of watching it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, there's also this item, millennium clock, actually a time machine, which I think is like a little poke at the audience, but also, mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was cute. There's, there's a reference here that they say axon, they, they say axon in, which yeah. I had to look up because I had no fucking idea what they're talking about. Apparently, this is a radio play from a David Lynch film called Inland Empire mm-hmm. made in 2006, which cast includes Laura Dern, who just comes up in the bald move lore constantly mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Thoreau, who you might recognize as sure. one of the leads from Leftovers. Uh-huh. And Jeremy Irons is in that as well, playing one of the leads. So, yeah, interesting little tie-in. Very interesting. And then the plot from from my very short reading on wikipedia is that the film follows the this is a quote from wikipedia the film follows the fragmented and nightmarish events surrounding a hollywood actress laura dern who begins to take on the personality of a character she plays in a film which is i guess interesting in the context of masks on masks mm. like where where does that character end and the other one begin mm-hmm. i don't know that's all i could really glean from it without going and watching what I'm sure is a truly true atrocity of a David Lynch film. Yeah, as they all I know are. How you, I know how you feel about yeah. David, our, our man David Lynch. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm curious because I the way Lindelof answered to like because he asked a question about like you know Lady True and this relationship with uh, Will and and Angela and he implied that maybe that would be cleared up in this next episode. He said mm-hmm. there's a several. He said that's like next episode and then when. Uh, uh, the guy was asking about the questions. He kept on saying finale, finale, finale. But like, I think we might get some substantive answers to some of these things raised, which would fit the 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 mold of like this PD file stuff, raising questions yeah. and having us thinking about stuff that will be addressed in the next episode. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of expecting that we might. I'm not going to be disappointed if we don't, but I am actually kind of expecting that we'll get some some answers along those those lines this next episode. Yeah. Shall we get the feedback? Let's do it. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. 
Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. You can send feedback to watchmen at baldmove.com or you can discuss with your fellow fans each week's episode on forums.baldmove.com. First up is Josh. He says, today's instant cast, you mentioned how the Klan hypnosis idea was too far out of actual race history in the U.S., but I got to disagree. Racists have always used mass media heavily to sway public opinion. The idea that people of color are more violent, something that you see thrown around on Fox News today, or somehow less intelligent began as depictions in films and television over 100 years ago. One of the first ever blockbuster films was Birth of a Nation. We talked about this a bit, but like not in depth, so I thought this was a good uh, counterpart to our discussion. This is a film about how the Klan would save America from white women-obsessed black men. Sure, it's not as direct as having a subliminal message commanding black people to attack one another, but it's in the same lane. The events in Dr. Strangelove are pretty far-fetched, but they serve a purpose to show the insanity of mutually assured destruction as a form of satire. The way that media manipulation is portrayed in Watchmen is over the top, but the point is to make the connection crystal clear. The media, controlled by people with ill intent, have shaped the minds and attitudes of uh, and about people of color. The audiences may not riot in theaters like they did in the show, but they do ingest this content and use that information, knowingly or otherwise, to form opinions of communities they do not know or understand. After Birth of a Nation was released, there's a marked increase in the people signing up to join the Klan because people believe what they see in the media. Take the American hero story we saw within the world of Watchmen. The entire history of hooded justice has been whitewashed and his crusade against racism was co-opted and repackaged to sell banking by Captain Metropolis. Uh, the idea that advertising exists proves that people form opinions on things by their depiction in the media. It's why everyone's having such a great time drinking in uh, the Bud Light Lime commercials, because no one's an addict in beer commercials. Now, Will using it on Jed may be a bit much for me, but I think the point was to show how the message can be hijacked and used against those who have traditionally wielded it. But I'll admit I'm stretching a bit to fit in this into the metaphor. Yeah, uh, not that much. Yeah. Not that much. Like I said, I... It, it would not surprise me to learn that there's a little bit of fibs being told in these final memories. And um, I don't know, like I, I felt very strong on Sunday that there would be another reveal that it was actually the Judd, you know, that, that, that will remains improbably strong enough to, to best, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially if it has the element of surprise um, this, uh, you know, Judd in single combat, but I, I, I'm warming up to the idea that this is just a commentary on media. Yeah. And uh, that was a really good uh, breakdown for us there. Josh, moving on to Matt. I enjoyed this episode for the most part, but there's a few things that were head scratchers to me. 
I wish they'd set up Will as more of a badass before he put on the hood. Also, Hooded Justice was supposed to be a big, burly, incredibly strong man. So where was that when the cops lynched him? The actor was fine in the role, but not physically what I think the role called for. I mean, hmm. I it's like, so this is the classic Batman story. Like, Batman, when he first went out to, to fight crime, got his ass kicked because he's just just one dude you know there was no mystique there was no uh, terror there was no element of uh this this theatrics as uh uh what what uh, Ras al Ghul uh, called it uh and I think you're supposed to understand that like you know Will maybe as big and strong as he is he's just one dude and against people with badges and guns he is you know that's 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 a strong person's kryptonite mm-hmm. so um it worked for me, and I also th- I also think this guy actually had some some beef on his frame. I was yeah. shocked to find out this was the kid that just three years ago played like this this teenager in uh, the Leftovers. So yeah. like maybe that's what it's like the fact that this guy filled out and you know had a lot of a lot of beef on his frame um, sold it for me. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, real life strong guys don't like look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're more like you know like 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 beefy and just kind of big all around than than like lean and cut. You know. Right. Uh, Matt continues. The scene where he flips his wife flips out when he's washing the makeup off his son and he's wearing his father's costume. Uh, a, there would never be any context that a black parent or really any parent would be fine with a child that put a noose around his neck. And B, Will didn't shove his face under the faucet and scrub it with a Brillo pad. I just felt like the scene wasn't portrayed perhaps aggressively enough to warrant the wife's anger, telling him that he needs to go back to Oklahoma. Yeah, I think there's a lot of built-in history there like this is like a final straw moment this yeah you're right they didn't show us a lot of the build-up but she's seen the build-up in other places in his life and where it goes and like she's not going to wait around to see oh this is step a of his anger cycle um and she's she's tapping out at the first sign yeah but i can see what you're what you're saying about about that too because but it also just really ties into uh his father's reaction to him putting on his uniform and expressing yeah. some mixed feelings that his fa- he his son looked like he was going to follow in his footsteps, but for different reasons, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Davin writes, why did Will Reese's wife want to go back to Tulsa so bad? She didn't grow up there, and neither did he, and their history with Black Wall Street should have wanted them to keep them far away. Got any ideas on that? I mean, she calls it home, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess she views the place of her birth as home. Yeah. And he, I suppose that's enough to explain it in my mind. Yeah. And also, like, I'm guessing that Will didn't just move to New York as soon as he was, like, eight years old or whatever, that <laughs> they might have settled down in an area nearby. There might have been some family. Like, did he know his parents' friends well enough to know their last names? Could they find family? Like, is, are you supposed yeah. to understand that Will got adopted and this, uh, his, his, uh, I can't remember Will's wife's name. Will's wife got adopted by a family in the same way that like Angela's adopted these these slain officers' children. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of we don't we don't know enough yet. Right. But I, it's not hard for me to believe that they they spent some time in Tulsa before going to New York uh, for him to become a cop. Uh, Sunny, I love all the technology in the show and the re- the different regulations, like some of the cell phone technology. My question is, what tech in our world do you guys think the government could be regulating, if any? Um, could be regulating? Yeah, like I'm Nothing, not sure because we would know about could it. Could or, sh- or they're they're trying to ask could or should. Oh, 
well, well, I think it's implied they're secretly regulating it somehow, which you can't do. Hmm. You can see, you can hide a tech. Mm-hmm. You can't regulate it without us knowing. Well, I mean, if there's like, I mean, I, I, this is kind of like the Ed, Edward Snowden, um, you know, NSA spying the fact that they're running the systems that essentially process all of our emails and voicemails and. Uh, is, is that, but I was thinking like maybe it's like more of a should than a could and if that's the case then huh. I think you know we're, we're about to have a big battle on facial ID, ID and then, well face ID systems oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. you're right because that's like the in game of privacy yeah. which I think I think we'll lose that one I think I we're going to lose gonna all face the ID privacy tech, yeah. we're, we're like my my hope is that like we turn these tools both directions so it's not just used against the the powerless but we can use it also to get transparency on the powerful and mm-hmm. maybe that'll be an overall good thing but yeah that and social media I mean that's the the two things I think are going to be fights in our, for our generation you know like we have yeah. it's weird to like but but well it's not weird we have laws against like what you can say on TV like you can't mm-hmm. just say toothpaste is going to cure cancer you can't uh commit interstate mail fraud there's a lot of things you can't do with communication devices and social media is this wild west because they pretend to be like this thing where everyone's just connected together you know we're not doing a responsibility for any of the stuff that goes on and yet we also see you know moneyed influences kind of setting the the conversations on those sites so i mean i think it's it's partially an enforcement problem uh-huh. like how the fuck do you police the social internet? Uh, we haven't figured that out yet. And B, it's also this weird, uh, this strange uh, adaptation of like, <laughs> corporations are people in some senses, mm-hmm. but they're not in others. And so when a corporation gets on television and, and spouts a whole bunch of bullshit, mm-hmm. they can be held accountable for that. But when they do it on social media where that's perceived as more like a personal kind of connection, right. they can't, they can get away with it somehow. Right. But yeah, I think those, those two problems are going to be not completely solved, but worked on over the next few years. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, because they otherwise you'll hit, end up with secret regulations like Sonny's fearing here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ian, I've really enjoyed the show and how it's paralleled the comic with major events. They seem to be telling the same story as the comic, but with completely new characters and a new time period. Each episode seems to have an event that's a direct callback to the comic that falls in line with the timeline of the comic. Hmm. In the first episode, obviously, there's the death of Judd, which parallels the death of the comedian. The second episode, we get to play or see uh, Vite putting on the play. At the same time, we got the origin story of Dr. Manhattan in the comic. In the third episode, after the car falls out of the sky, we get a shot of Lori looking up at the Mars... Uh, standing out distinctively in the sky, which is damn near identical to the comic panel of Dr. Manhattan doing the same thing before he goes to Mars in the comic. We also get a fake assassination attempt upon a man who's trying to orchestrate a major hoax. And the fifth episode comes with a similar point in the storyline where we get to see Rorschach's uh, background in the comic as well. The newest episode plays with time and memories in a very similar fashion as to when John takes Lori to Mars and shows her how he perceives time. In both cases, it tells the person experiencing the memory something about where they came from as well. I'm sure there's many more examples, but it seems like a masterful bit of storytelling to tell a completely new story in a format of an existing one. Given all that, what do you think we can guess about the upcoming episodes? Uh, maybe there will be a prison break or a breakout of some sort of institution? I mean, Ozzy's leading up to that, right? Oh, yeah. Kinda. You're right. There's that. Uh, there's obviously a giant squid attack. Um mm-hmm. The other thing missing is like a romance, an unlikely romance subplot. Um, hmm. Yeah. 
And I wonder what that could be because, you know, Angela's got the super hot boyfriend or husband that is often remarked upon by Lori. And like, is there going to be kind of like a sweet them coming together after all this? Um, I don't know. I wonder what he's going to say to her after she comes to, because Uh we already know he's been, kind of chafing after uh, from all these lies and all these half truths that he's had. And now she's done this thing and put their lives in jeopardy and her own life. in. Je- I-, I wonder need to need to sit them down at LG's desk and give them, have them give a frank conversation. Mm-hmm. Just, just Angela and Cal just talking things over mm-hmm. with Lori listening in through the cactus. <laughs> through the cactophone. <laughs> yep. Uh, any other ideas about where we might be heading? Nah, I, I didn't uh, get to the end of the comic books, so I really uh, only have the movie knowledge to go on. Right. Uh, well, then Dr. Manhattan will attack in the final episode. I mean, a master obviously. plan, right? Like mm-hmm. or the, an unveiling of a master plan that's probably already been accomplished before the heroes get there. That kind of thing. Latrice, is the affair with Captain Metropolis something from the comics and or movies? To me, it was startling and irrelevant to the plot other than to show that Will picked the convenient wife. As always, thanks for your input. I it was hinted. It was something that was like it was always discussed in those in-universe clips of like uh, the Night Owls uh, memoirs that they had a gay relationship, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like an important part of the comics. It was just there for kind of the like rumor and innuendo and a salaciousness that would get something printed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do. I'm not. I'm not really sure why they chose that bit of the fiction to to bring into it although i guess it, i could see if i'm a if i'm a gay fan or a bisexual fan of the watchman mm-hmm. and they revealed that all that was just horse shit like they maybe that feel like erasing the aspect of his character hmm. so could be yeah i don't know uh mad max at the very beginning of the episode the show makes a point of having Lori explain to angela how nostalgia works and how it's made However, the final memory of Will with Judd at the hanging tree occurred just before Will called Angela, so there's no time to make a hanging tree nostalgia pill. That means the pill was likely made after Will was abducted and then taken back to Lady True's facility, which also means it was purposely put into Will's pill bottle and the pill bottle put back in Angela's glove compartment for Angela to find. What would be the point of making this memory pill and leaving for it uh, for Angela? And how would Angela, how would Will know Angela would take the pills? Could it suggest a hanging tree memory was intentionally altered and is a false memory? Or is it just possible the showrunners slash writers overlooked a plot hole surrounding the timing of the memory? I mean, it's not a problem for timing. We know Will was abducted right from uh, with the pill bottle, and then the pill bottle appeared 24 hours later, and he's abducted by Lady True, who has all this technology. But the question is why this memory... And I think it's pretty clear, like he wanted Angela to know without a, without a doubt that he's the one that killed Judd and that he Judd, he knew Judd was a racist and he knew like, like in a way that Angela didn't how these people can operate um, and pretend like they're your friends and then betray you behind their back. Right. So I, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but it's like also like I'm also kind of half floated the idea that I think this memory is false somehow too. Um, it is curious that this is the only memory in like a 50 year gap that he saw fit to fill her in on. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of great ideas. What about you? No, I mean, the opportunity is certainly there for the switcheroo. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, she doesn't take any of these pills until after the pills have left her side mm-hmm. and returned. So how do Will know that she would? Because so here's the other thing is like, I don't know that Will intended her to take it. Like, I think that there was events set in place that would make her curious enough that she would have to take it. But this is a very long fucking game. Mm-hmm. And then like very passive aggressive as and then Lori says. and Looking Glass kind of hit the, the gas when they betrayed her. So it's like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a risky plan. Also, Will has mind control technology. Mm-hmm. So, like, is this a blended thing where, like, we talked about the significance of someone, like, serving you voluntarily because they, um, or, or allying with you voluntarily because they understand your goals and they share them versus a forced coercion, co- co- coerced, mm-hmm. forced conversion is what I'm trying to say. What if it's, like, a, a double double reverse twist betrayal like he uses a flashlight device to incept the idea that she needs to take the pills so she takes the pills and thinks that she is sympathetic to her grandpa because she made these organic decisions herself hmm. i could see them playing something along those lines that you has know, angela seen any flashing lights lately i honestly don't know i would have to i don't think so but would you like I'm I she could have seen like uh, a movie or some kind of projector. Oh, mm-hmm. that's the one thing we didn't the, the lead we buried in the Lady True article. I can't believe we almost forgot this. Lady True has bought, bought everyone brand new state of the art ah. HD TV screens for everyone within an X amount of radius around the tower. Right. To compensate them for the inconvenience her construction has caused. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there, there's whatever the empathy but that's it that is what the, the we now see the bomb mm-hmm. and how it's going to work and its mechanism of action but we don't know the payload that's the thing i think you're right yeah yeah because there's no fucking way that those things are not specially designed to brainwash the fuck out of a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. in much the same way that we saw the war of the world stuff play out like yeah it's gotta be gotta be uh, anything else or should we wrap this thing up no I think I'm ready to wrap it up alright we're going to send this into a space capsule and blast it off to this, this destroyed world that is this podcast into next week's hopeful new era of the show I guess I don't know I've lost my own metaphor uh, long of the short and the thick and the wide of it is send the feedback in to assripper at bald, no to, to watchman at baldmove.com and we will consider it. Uh, you can also, of course, get uh, to in contact with your fellow fans, your fellow watchmen uh, and watchwomen at forums.baldmove.com. Yeah, I don't want any emails coming into my personal address. Yeah? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you, just, you know, that's your, your Tinder profile. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sensitive <laughs> right. account. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to come back on Sunday night, of course, with the Instant Talk and Instant Take podcasts where we'll have our off-the-cuff conversation with y'all. And we'll be back next Tuesday for another full run of the next episode, Episode 7 of Watchmen. Only three left. Yeah. Answer soon. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.